Okay, so the uh, New Testament reading is from Colossians chapter 1, so you can flick over to there. And we're starting at verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thank you to our readers and good morning again to everyone. It's nice to be here with you today. I was really encouraged by the Brienne interview. What a great story of our church. It's like a church story. She's coming through connections at the school. She's come to know the Lord. She's now being sent out, if you like, uh, as she goes off to other ministries and so on. But uh, rejoice in those stories. May there be many, many stories just like that story uh, for us. What there won't be is cookies for your questions. Uh, I can't afford that many cookies, I'm sure. You'll have many questions over the years. And I won't pay for you to ask questions, so bad luck on that front. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together to your word. We pray this morning that you would speak powerfully to each of us, that we would have wisdom and spiritual understanding to live out your word and to live a life that is pleasing to our Lord and Saviour. And we pray it in his name. Amen. I'm going to start by breaking a preaching rule. One of my preaching rules I tell students is, don't preach your hobby horses. Let me start with a hobby horse of mine. Uh, one of the phrases I really detest from politicians, because I find it really cynical, maybe you do as well, is, uh, our thoughts and prayers are with you. You know how you hear politicians say that? I, I heard one particular politician, I won't name them, but just after they fought against uh, SRE, scripture in schools, one week, the next week, things start happening in the country where they're saying, my thoughts and prayers are with you. You're just saying that, mate. That's a lie. Your prayers are not with people. And that's really sad, so don't say it. Let's speak the truth. Uh, but of course, it's not just politicians. Uh, do you know the famous theologian, Oprah Winfrey? You know her? <laughs> She's got this saying. Uh, she goes around teaching people about spiritualism these days. Uh, she says, we need just one prayer. Here's her prayer. She says, we pray to our mystical God. We pray, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I'm still here. Thank you. Today I get another chance to be a better version of me. Thank you. Amen. Now, in other words, Oprah's spirituality is all about me and, and what I get out of my mystical God who I define to be what I want this God to be. But today we see a much better model of prayer. T today we see a model of prayer that comes from God. We see a model of prayer that is good not just for us, but for others, and in fact for everyone, if only they would hear. And so today it's a very simple set of outlines, uh, if you can see it. I don't know where you see it. 
Why pray? There's one on the screen. Let me explain where we're going. It's, it's why pray, uh, when to pray, and what to pray, and there's subpoints you can follow easily enough. I, I hope you see that that falls out of the passage that we're looking at today. So have your Bibles open, Colossians chapter 1. Uh, we're looking in this first little section. Uh, we'll carry on from verse 9, but let's start with verse 3. Why pray? Well, we pray out of thankfulness. Have a look there. Uh, Paul says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. See, Paul prays to thank God because of what God is doing. In in verse 14, God is redeeming a people. God is doing these amazing things in the life of the Colossians. Paul's prayer offers rightly thanks to God for that. Indeed, God is doing more than that. So verse 2, God is making people holy. Verse 3, people have faith in Christ and they have love for God's people. Verse 5, they have an eternal hope. See, these things are big things and it is right to thank the God of the universe for what he is doing in the world. And then we get to today's passage where there is more that we thank God for. Uh, Why do we pray? Well, it's because God is continuing this work. Verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, becoming Christians and putting your faith in Jesus, we have not stopped praying for you. See, Paul is thankful for their conversion, but he is thankful and praying for their ongoing growth as Christians. Uh, He knows that when you become a Christian, you don't stagnate. See, rightly, we see a line in the sand before you're a Christian, after you're a Christian. And yet to Paul, you become a Christian and you just keep going. It's not just that you set and forget your salvation. We pray for people because it's ongoing to grow in Jesus. Paul and Timothy knew that. And so they pray for these people in Colossae. Of course, they pray specifically in this chapter. Uh, Verse 9, they ask God to fill these new believers with the knowledge of his will and with spiritual understanding. Now, we're going to unpack that as we go along today. That's an important verse. But for now, we're asking, why pray? Well, if we're asking that question, you don't get a cookie, but it's for because God is doing amazing things in this world. That's why we pray, because God is able to change. He's changing the course of lives, and so we thank him for that. In fact, it is right for us to join with the angels in heaven who rejoice every time one person, Brianne, becomes a Christian. The angels in heaven are rejoicing. We join their voices It is right to remember that every Christian is a work in progress and we pray that progress continues as they grow. If you find praying hard, you're not Robinson Crusoe, you know what I mean? Like you're not the only one. But rather than feel guilty about your prayer life, what we need to do is get our motivations right. Why do we pray? Why? Well, it's because verse 5, God is bearing fruit in the gospel. Because God is doing these amazing things and we get to be a part of it. It's like in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we praying for there? Aren't we praying that we would be more like Jesus? Aren't we praying that more and more people would be like Jesus? That that more and more people will live God's way in this world? Aren't we praying that Jesus would come back? See, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying these things that are so important to us. Conversion, transformation, 
hope of glory, important things. We pray because it's a part of what God is doing in this world. You could think prayer is religious duty. And if that's how you think about prayer, then it becomes obligation and burden. Or you could see prayer as a part of the wonderful privilege of relationship with God and what he's doing. Calling God to do the very things he wants to do in this world. When you think about it in the second way, there is so much to give thanks to God for. And I don't think it's burdensome. Let me give you one example from church life recently. Uh, you may be aware that Junior Jivers is going through a moment of kind of explosion and growth and it's all very exciting and you can't walk out here on the Junior Drivers Day without crashing into children and parents and it's very exciting. Excellent. But what is coming out of that is a couple of people have become Christians. Just recently, just in the last few months. Now how can you not give thanks to God for that? Isn't that what we're on about? We want to see people's lives from darkness to light. Praise God. That's not burden. That's privilege to pray and to give thanks for that. And we want to be praying more and more and praying that those particular people grow up in their faith over time. You may not even know them, which just means you're the same as Paul to the Colossians. He didn't personally know them, but gee, he rejoiced in their salvation and their growth. What a privilege to be involved in praying God's will be done. Why pray? When do you pray? When to pray? Now, Paul actually sets a high standard, doesn't he? Uh, th this is a little bit hard for us to hear. Verse 3, we always thank God when we pray for you. Verse 9, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, even as I say those words, I suspect some of you are responding in two very different ways. Always and non-stop. There are going to be those who are feeling so guilty. My prayer life, when was the last time I prayed? How often do I pray? What is my, who do I pray for? Oh no, my, my prayer life is a mess. Always, that's how I should pray. Now if that is you, if you are feeling guilty, if you, you think oh, I'm not devoted to prayer like I should be, I want to say to you, Paul is not trying to invoke endless guilt. That's not his point here. He is modelling what it is to be devoted to the Lord in prayer. If you feel endlessly guilty about your prayer life, give yourself a break and go back to why you pray. What motivates you to pray? Isn't it because you know the very Lord and Saviour of the universe? That's why you pray. Isn't it because you have a relationship and you want to see his will done? That's why you pray. And start again with why you pray, driving when you pray, to be devoted in prayer. But there's another group of people who I think hear always and non-stop, and they think, I've been around for a while, I know what this is. This is hyperbole. This is Paul being the apostle and just kind of putting it out there as the apostle, a great example that no one can achieve. This is Paul saying, do what I do, but I know you never could. Now, if that is you, if you think, oh, we don't really listen to Paul when he says always and non-stop, can I caution you, guard your heart against that. That's dangerous. As we start thinking, oh, I could never achieve that, I could never be like Paul, we deny the power of God to work in us, to change us. Paul is devoted to prayer. That's what he's saying, always, always, whenever I pray, I'm praying for you in this way. He is devoted because he believes prayer is powerful. He believes it changes things. If you have fallen into the habit of thinking, oh, prayer's not that important, I don't need to 
worry and it's okay. God is kind, he won't care. Can I encourage you, get your prayer life back on track. Hear this as an example. And you too, (laughs) remind yourself why. When you get the why right, then the when and the how often come together quite easily. Prayer is not wasted time. Prayer is living in relationship with your God. So when should you pray? That's your homework exercise. You can figure that out. Why do you pray? Go and figure out when you're going to pray. Now to the sort of core of the passage for today, what to pray for. Now I want you to look carefully at verse 9. For this reason we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask you, God, to fill our pockets with gold, to bless all our endeavours, to make me a figure others would aspire to. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give me peace and heaven on earth. I should see more nodding heads than this. No, it does not say this. That is not the Paul prayer Paul, Paul prays for, if I get the words right. The prayer is, God, fill them, yes, but not with all the things they might dream of. Fill them with the knowledge of his will. Fill them with spiritual understanding. There is Paul's prayer. Here we have to be careful. Or should I say before I even get to this point, have your Bible if you can at church because you don't want to be hoodwinked by a preacher not preaching God's word, right? Always test the word that is coming. Anyway, that was Paul's prayer, the knowledge of his will, spiritual understanding. Too often Christians personalise this. Too often we oprah this. We do an Oprah Winfrey on this. We say, what is God's will for my life? What is God doing for me? When actually God's will is revealed to us. It's not a secret will. He has told us what he is doing. So it's not for us to personalise everyone as if we're all different in God's will. We're a part of God's will. What is God doing in this world? He is rescuing a people for himself. He is transforming a community. He is bringing in heaven and eternal life. He has revealed his will in his word. So we've got to be careful to not turn this into another mystery that we don't know, when actually we do. Verse 9 says, We understand through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So again, out of context, verse 9 is a dangerous verse. There are plenty of stories of cults that could start off the back of that verse. God gave me a special message, and so I want to gather a group of people and we'll do what God told me to do. Wow, that's dangerous. God has revealed his will in the scriptures. What is the Spirit's role? He opens our eyes, he enlightens our hearts, he shows us the truths so that we can live them out. We need to be clear on this. What is God's will for us? The Bible tells us. God reveals it. It is to be saved by the Lord. It's to be more and more like him. It's to enjoy relationship with him forever. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't have a personal will for each person. It just means that he doesn't promise to reveal that personally to every person. He's revealed what he's doing. His big picture plans, he may well have for his differently gifted people different roles to play. But, unlike the Christian bookshops that have a million books on the shelf that say, discover God's personal will for you, we should discover what God's personal will is for all of us, for the church, in this world, and then play our part. 
And as we read the scriptures and as we're enlightened by them and as we discover how God has made us, what gifts you have, you play your part in the body. And I play my part in the body. And we are together in God's will as he is doing what he is doing in the world. So I've offered a little bit of caution there because I think this does happen at times. We misunderstand God's will to be about me and not about the Lord Jesus. But then look at verse 10. Because we see the will flows out into actions. The will flows out into so that's. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. See, see the knowledge and the spiritual understanding is so that we can please God. We can live his way. And even that is not just left for us to discover and left alone. It's right here. We can just have a look at how that is described in the next verses. Paul goes on to define them. He has four ways of living a worthy life. Uh, The first one is fruiting. Be a fruiting Christian. What's a fruiting Christian? A fruiting Christian produces. Like a fruit tree produces fruit. Uh, I grew up on a little farm. We had an orchard. Every seven years or so, we'd go around the orchard and we'd take the tractor and back it up and the hydraulic lift at the back of the tractor, we'd hook it to the tree and if the tree wasn't fruiting, out it comes. Waste of time, that tree. And put in a tree that might fruit. I'm not saying Jesus is going to do that to us, but I am saying Jesus intends us to fruit. He intends us to bear fruit. Verse 10, to bear fruit as a life fully pleasing to him. And so what is he saying? What is Paul wanting us to do? What are the good fruits that we should bear? Well, in the context, for one thing, they are gospel-driven fruits. If you look back at verse verse 6, Paul's already set that up. What is God doing? Well, his gospel is bearing fruit in the world. See, the gospel bears fruit. And so as we bear fruit, it will have to be fruit that fits in what the gospel is doing, gospel fruit. Now, that is important because there's many good things you could do, right? In 10 lifetimes, you won't have done all the good things that you could do. And so you have to choose and you have to navigate the good you could do with your life. Some fruits of our faith will last longer. That's just a simple fact. Some fruits, when a new believer is established firmly in the faith, that lasts to eternity. When a non-Christian is saved, that'll last into eternity. When you love your brother and sister at church who's going through a hard time and they stay Christian, that lasts into eternity. When we invest in people in church, that lasts into eternity. These things last. These are kind of direct fruits, if you like, of the gospel. When we're a community who welcomes the outsider, you know, always loving each other, but always welcoming the outsider, not a holy huddle but an open community for change and new people. These fruits last into eternity. But there are other fruits that are less direct, if I can put it that way. Less direct. Uh, You could be the president of the local chess club. Now, I hope I haven't picked anyone in particular. If there's a president of the local chess club, I'm sorry. Just to pick good things. Uh, You could be on a mission to walk little old ladies across the road. You could do the good of joining Clean Up Australia. Good things, don't get me wrong, excellent things. There are so many good things you could do and in your heart you'd say, why do I do this? Because Jesus loves me and I want to be a blessing for others and that's, that's true and good. But the key things to remember is 
that is not obvious to others. When we do good because of Jesus and we don't explain that to others, we're just doing the same as anyone else who does good things. You know that people often say that phrase, uh, they're so good they should be a Christian. Hobby horse, I hate that phrase. You misunderstand your doctrine of sin if you ever say that. But I know what they're getting at. Some people are so good you can't compete with their goodness. But we're not trying to do that. As we do good, we need to also connect them to our reason for doing the good. If you do good, it's because of Jesus, not because you are innately good. One of the most influential men in my Christian life used to go around, if you see anyone hitchhiking, you just pick them up. Someone on the side of the road with some stuff, he'd just pick them up. He'd offer them a lift. And I'd ask why he'd always do that, because I'm going to put you out of your way or what? And so he said, well, every time I explain the Good Samaritan to the person. For him, it was a way to explain the gospel and live the gospel out all in one. So every person that got out of the car knew this man did this because he loves Jesus. If he didn't explain that, he was just a good man. By explaining it, there's potential gospel fruit that lasts into eternity. I hope you hear what I mean there. There's so much good, good works we can do. But we want to be bearing fruit that lasts. And that is fruit in the name of Jesus. Of course, never write off the opportunities that come along. There'll be good opportunities every single day. Just don't let them obscure Jesus. Let them point to Jesus. If someone says, you're such a good man, go, oh, it's not me. (laughs) It's my Lord who put me up to this. Or whatever you can say to point to the right direction. Okay, so first thing we are to do is be Christians who bear fruit. Uh, Second, a a Christian filled by the knowledge of God who has spiritual understanding will be a growing Christian, growing in the knowledge of God. Uh, I like to think of the Christian life as a momentum thing, like a spiral. You're either spiraling out and away or in and towards. My experience is you never find Christians that are static. It's like, I'm here on the spiral. I'm not going towards Jesus. I'm not going, no. If you're not going towards Jesus, you're going away from Jesus. Christians are always growing. And that growth comes from the knowledge of God, which leads to more fruiting, which leads to a strengthened faith, which leads back to the word of God, which leads, and around and around it goes, if you see what I mean. It's a spiral. Sometimes when the opposite is true, it's really sad. Rather than growing, people turn their minds away from the knowledge of God away from the Bible, away from what God is doing. And the end is really sad. So let me encourage you, embrace growth as a Christian. We're to be growing in the knowledge of God. That's who we are. Uh, Pray to be filled. Pray to be filled with the knowledge of God. Pray for spiritual wisdom to live it out. But pray it for everyone. Imagine a church where we're praying that for every member of our church. That could be your prayer life. You don't know what to pray? Pray for that for every member of church. We're to be constantly reforming according to the knowledge of God, according to his word. Uh, I've been saddened by that thing in Victoria the last couple of weeks, uh, that that anti-gay conversion bill. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrongly here. I read some of it, and some of the practices that people have done to try and convert people are crazy. Machines and electrodes and all sorts, like, not, no not up for this kind of thing. But the implications of this law are scary. It seems to me a sad irony that people with a progressive agenda are actually deciding that there is a point at which people shouldn't change anymore. 
And that is the line that's been drawn is sexual identity. Uh, apparently, if you, you work out your sexual identity, nothing can ever change on that and no one should ever even talk to you about that. Now, I worry about that for lots of reasons and this law hasn't been tested yet. But the most important reason is that I believe in change. I believe that the gospel changes people. And so, therefore, people in Victoria who may now have certain sexual identities and practices that are not in line with God's will, they will change because the gospel will do it to people. And the person who brought the gospel to them may well be held accountable for converting someone. That is a sad story. That is anti-religious freedom. That is a challenge to us. That is something for us to pray for our brothers and sisters in Victoria. All sin is evil, right? I'm not picking out any in particular, but I think a law that says you cannot call people to change is a dangerous law for us Christians. So pray. As Christians, we believe Jesus changes people. And he is powerfully working to do that in our lives. That was the second thing. Uh, the third kind of filling Paul is praying for is empowerment. Uh, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to this gl his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Uh, the word power here is, it comes from the Greek word for dynamite. It's kind of found its way into English. That gives you an idea of what we're talking about here. God's dynamite power is at work to strengthen us. God's dynamite power is keeping us enduring in our faith. We are strengthened with all dynamite power according to God's might. Now, there'll be some churches that'll preach this passage and say, this is a wonderful empowerment verse, and they'll preach it as, therefore, live a victorious life. Therefore, you can do all that you desire to do. Oprah, I can only imagine where she could launch on this particular verse. We have to notice, what is the power, the dynamite power for? It's so that we endure. So we stay Christian. Enduring in the power of God till Jesus comes back. We need that power as Christians. That's why Paul prays it for his new brothers and sisters. And we ought to pray it for ourselves and others. And if I can be as bold as this as to say, it's why you must work on your devotional life, your personal devotional life. I haven't had a chance to ask you how it's going. Too many people to ask right now, but I love to ask people this question. God has given us means of grace, we often call them. His word, prayer, spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and fellowship. He's given us these things to build us up and keep us Christian. These are his dynamite power things. If you aren't reading your Bible and you don't want to pray and you don't want to meet together and can you see what it does? It's saying I don't want the dynamite power of God. I'm not interested in God helping me. I'll do this on my own, which is not Christian in the end. On the occasions I've met people who are clearly lagging in their faith. They're, they're falling back and struggling. They're, they're spiraling out in my illustration. So often it's the simple things first. I haven't read my Bible for a year. I stopped going to growth groups three years ago. I'm at church once a month. And on and on it goes. And all the means of God's keeping us Christian are taken away. Let me encourage you, work on your personal devotional life. It is how God keeps moving you on. 
and work on your church life and fellowship. It is how God keeps moving us on. It's powerful. And that's why Paul prays it for the Colossians and we pray it for each other. And we get to the fourth one. Verse 12, I'll be very quick on this one. Verse 12, a Christian is someone who is giving joyful thanks to the Father. Giving joyful thanks to the Father. We are a joyful people. We're not Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, not that kind of joy necessarily, but we are thankful for God has done such good things for us. And once we understand it, how much are we more joyful and more thankful as Christians? So we've seen today Paul is giving us a guide to prayer, but it's not the book, How to Pray. It's not that kind of guide to prayer. What he is doing is modelling the Christian life for us. He's saying in the Christian life, prayer is natural and important. It's just part of who we are. We, we pray. How can we not praise God? How can we not be thankful? How can we not want God's power? How can we not want to be fruiting for the gospel, which is fruiting anyway, and so we're just getting involved in being who we are? As our Lord fills us with his word and knowledge of his will, pray, it does shape us. Pray we will live lives worthy of our Lord. And that's a big prayer, right? Because our Lord has died for us and redeemed us. That's a big prayer. And then when you pray it for yourself, don't stop. Because we all have friends, other members of church, growth group people, people we work with, missionaries we support. Pray it for every Christian you know. And pray for the opportunity to pray it for those that aren't yet Christian. Because as soon as they become Christian, we want to pray this for them as well. This is a wonderful encouragement to prayer. I pray you hear it, and let's pray right now. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are indeed at work. The gospel is indeed bearing fruit, that, that we can see it as we look at the history of your church and your people in this world. Father, we pray for ourselves that we would be a church that grows in the knowledge of your will through your word by the power of your spirit. We pray that we will be a church that so much lives for our Lord, that it is a worthy life for him and that it bears fruit, that is powered by him, that is thankful and joyful and is always looking for the day of Jesus' return. May we be these kind of Christians and may we have the joy on the last day of seeing our prayers answered in the lives of many, many people. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.